0: Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Y'all glad to be here? Amen. Everybody enjoying the pollen? Hey, it's it's uh it's rough, but I'm just glad to have a nose to breathe it. Amen, and some lungs to. To, to, to breathe it in a car for it to stick to. That's right. So, anyway, listen so uh, two weeks ago, we were talking about drawing a line. The title of the sermon two weeks ago was Make America Great Again. And we, we said, you know, here's the deal men and women, we need to have some lines drawn in our lives. And we say, we're not going to cross this line. And draw the same line for your family, your children. And this we're going to stay on this side of the line because God wants us on this side of the line. And basically every household in the United States did that. That would make America great again. Amen. Amen. Talking about some boundaries, some barriers, some walls, some lines in our own personal lives. And we talked about that a little bit. And last week um, was the five biscuit blessing. If y'all were here, you know that. The little boy had the basket. He gave everything goes in the basket, which was two fish and five biscuits. He didn't keep the fifth biscuit for himself. And, you know, a lot of times Christians uh, don't surrender at all. We surrender a lot, the large, a large portion of it. We just don't surrender everything that's in our lives to the Lord. We want to hold back a little bit just for security or just for, you know, uh, like, well, if you are here last week, you, you you heard the sermon. I can't go back through the whole thing. But I was moving on this week to something else. I had my my mind, Red had his mind made up. We were moving on to something else. But as the week progressed and things happened, and, and the Lord uh, kept me here in this area for another week. So we're going to be talking about surrender for the third week in a row, okay? And we, uh, we went through some scripture last week. I paraphrased mostly. But we're going to read in Genesis, the 22nd chapter this morning, starting in the first verse. Genesis 22, 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Well, let me stop right here before we go any further. God does test you, but he doesn't tempt you. If there's a temptation, it's not from God. God. I've heard people get this mixed up and say, God's just testing you. Like putting you in a situation where something evil or wicked, He's testing you to see if you'll do, uh, engage in something that's ungodly. No, he's not, he's not tempting you. He's testing you. And the test is so that you and I can succeed and so we can grow. No different than going to school. The teacher gives you a test. So you can see where you need to work on. And so that you can succeed and so you can grow. Guess what? You practice ball all week. Friday night's game time. It's a test. So you can succeed, so you can grow. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, you stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. And notice there he said, we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire uh, in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, saying, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Like all the ingredients aren't here, Dad. There's something missing. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said... Abraham, Abraham, so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah-Jireh. Y'all remember the song Jehovah-Jireh, My Provider? So he named the place the Lord will provide. As it uh, is said to this day in the mouth of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. He said, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars in heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. A lot of things, hands off Abraham obeying his voice. He says, in your seed, and what you're doing here, all the nations are going to be blessed. Now, let's, let's back up right here for a minute. He, it's a burnt offering. God said, make your son a burnt offering. Now, we always talk about the knife being raised. We skip the burnt offering part. He didn't say go stab him with a knife. He said, make him a burnt offering. Let me tell you, killing him with a knife was just a mercy killing. But he said, he said, uh, to, to make your son a, a burnt offering for me. And Abraham obeys him. You know, he said, this is Jehovah Jireh. This is the place where God provides. And the provision that he needed was found in the surrender. You understand what I'm saying? He surrendered fully to what God told him to do. And he goes up this mountain with his son to do exactly what God tells him to do. And the provision was made in the surrender. No surrender, no provision. We want the provision without the surrender, but it doesn't work that way. That's that's out of order. The surrender equals the provision. And uh, when you surrender, you know what? It's an act and it allows God to uh, bless you, to increase you. And he says, if you do this, he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply you. Well, first of all, God's not a God of subtraction. He didn't want to take anything away from Abraham. He wanted to give something to him. God's a God of multiplying. He said, I'm going to multiply like the stars in the heaven and the sand that's on the shore. But it all started with Surrender. We think God wants to take things away from us. He don't want me to have no fun. Or just when I get ahead, get some money, a little nest egg in my sock drawer, and then God puts in my heart that I need to give it to some mission or go help some poor person and go do something. God just don't want me to have anything. Actually, he does. He wants you to have more than you've already got. The provisions found in the surrender. If you'll just surrender, see, when these things become more important to you than the relationship between you and God, and the Bible doesn't tell this. tell us this, this is just what I think, but I think that he gave him Isaac in his old age. And Isaac was super special to him because of the way he was born for, to him and Sarah. And now all of a sudden, Isaac has is, uh, got Abraham's full attention rather than God. And so a lot of things like that happen in our life where things get our attention. And God wants you to surrender everything to him. He, he's, not, he's, not a, he's not second to anything. He'll never be second to anything. That's not we come on the first. We give him the first. He's not second. He don't receive leftovers or seconds. Abraham is obedient here. And um, let me see. Let me go back. Well, we'll we're going to move forward. Let's see. Y'all remember um, the um, uh, boy with a fish last week. We talked about with a basket. Well this little boy with a fish and he's got this he's got the basket thousands of people. It says five thousand men, not counting women and children. We don't know how many thousands it was. If it was if you took two fish and five biscuits and you fed twenty people, that's a miracle. Because the fish are like sardines. Five thousand is even more of a miracle, but I mean The number doesn't really matter. I mean, it was thousands, 5, 10, 15,000 people that they fed with two fish and five biscuits. But the little boy brought his basket and he brought his fish up there. He gave everything that he had. He is the only one that brought something up there. And he gave everything that he had. You know what God did? He multiplied it. He said he took the two fish and the five biscuits, fed everybody, and then after they get finished... They took up the leftovers and there was 12 full baskets of fish and biscuits for the little fellow to take back home with him. He said he's a God of multiplying. He's not a God of subtraction. Give me everything you got. Let me multiply. Now we can hold it back and we can try to multiply. it. I know people that do that. We're not going to give a tithe. We're not going to give an offering because I watch me work with my money. See, this 10%, the Lord ain't getting that. I can invest that. And even some accountants will tell you, you give too much to the church. You you should probably invest that into this or invest that in that so you can get some return on your money. The Lord can give you way more of a return on your money than any stocks and any bonds out there. But He gave it all. Multiplied 12 baskets. 12 baskets full. Where'd those baskets come from? Did God create the baskets? Because see, you can make things out of ingredients. You can take ingredients and put them together and and you can make something. Not that big a deal. Jackie took some ingredients last night and this morning and she cooked a bunch of food for a bunch of people. But she took ingredients and put them together and I'm going to enjoy it in just a little bit. But she didn't create it. God created I think He created 12 baskets. He created 12 baskets. Now there's 12 disciples holding 12 baskets, carried it back to the little boy's house. Maybe He created 12 so each one of the disciples could carry one and say, well, this is what surrender looks like. This is what obedience looks like. My doubt and uh, fear. You know, I need to be more like this little boy right here. The Scripture even tells us to be Christ-like. Put all our trust into Him. But see, God has the power to create things. How in the world will He do it? I don't know. You just got to know and trust that He will. If you'll just surrender, He has the power to create things. Create things otherwise that don't look like it can possibly happen. Amen. Y'all awake this morning? Am I the only one? Woo! Let's get, if I woke up, my son said last night, Dad, you think I can throw 100 miles an hour when I become an adult? And I said, Sure. No, let's be serious. And I said, I'm being serious. I think you can. Oh, that's impossible. Well, if you say so, it is. You'll never be able to do it if you don't think you can. Amen. I said, the giants never stopped them. It's the voices on the inside. I wrote it on a piece of paper and put it on my kitchen counter so myself and my family, mainly this one particular son of mine, could read. Because he's always doubting his abilities and what he can do. And In other words, God, you might not can, but God can God can get a hold of that arm, make you do things that people haven't never seen before. You just got to surrender your life and trust to Him. He can create things. The giants can't stop you from accomplishing what God said was yours. But the voices on the inside can. And I said, no. If a boxer stands in the ring and says, "I'm going to lose," he's going to lose. You may as well not even get in there. You're going to get knocked out. You got to get in there, fully intending on winning. You've got to surrender all fully trusting and having faith that God's going to provide for you. Amen. What does Isaac represent? Isaac represents a lot of different things right here. <clears throat> Isaac represents family, relationships. Surrendering your family. Surrendering your relationships. You're not the Savior. You're not God. Your family is... Your wife, your husband, they have a Savior same as you. They have a God same as you. You're not it. But to surrender your relationship, sometimes relationships become more important to you than your relationship with God. I've seen it before, where man's relationship with their wife is more important to their relationship with God. Same thing with the woman. Same thing I've seen. I know a man whose daughter was really good at softball and he was so focused on the softball, psycho crazy about the softball, that he forgot he even had a wife and they got divorced because she found somebody else that was more interested in her than he was. That can happen. But when you take a man that surrendered to God and his relationship with God, and you take a woman who surrendered to God and her relationship with God, you won't have marriage issues. You won't. I've said this before. I'll say it again just in case you forgot. But you can picture a triangle right here. Here's the bottom, here's the bottom, here's the point. There's a triangle. God's at the tip, He's at the pinnacle, He's at the top. Man and woman here. This man's focused on this relationship. This woman's focused on her relationship. And as they grow closer to God, they grow closer to each other. That's a fact. One can stay down here and one can be up here with the Lord. You might have some issues. You can both stay down here and I guarantee you are going to have some issues. You get moving in the right direction, you're going to get to experience the closest thing to heaven on earth. I love being married. I mean, I can't even tell you how much I like it. I don't like it. I love it. I can't imagine life any other way. We don't fight. We don't argue. We get along 100, 100% of the time. 100% of the time. I can honestly say, have we always? No. That's because she was up here and old was down here. I was a little lower than down here. I was off the map. But when I surrendered and we started coming up, things changed. Things changed. And they'll change for you just the same. It's God's in it. <clears throat> but he, He's so... Uh, let, let's look right here Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple... And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This hate here, let me back up. Hate, his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. That's not hate as in despise them. It's a comparative term. You understand me? It's a comparative term. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to have a rival. I'm not going to be second to her. I'm not going to be a second to him. And I'm not going to be a second to them. I'm first. I don't have a a rival but it's a comparative term. Let me give you an example. I can reach in my wallet and pull out a $100 bill right now. Crisp, fresh, nice $100 bill and hold it up. Do you like it? Yeah, you like it. You can pay some bills. You can give it to somebody. You can put it in the offering tray. You go help somebody out. You go out to lunch. Buy your dinner. On me. Hundred dollars. Here's a hundred dollars. Do you like it? Yes, you like it. We all like it. What's not to like about a hundred dollar bill? But I could get a briefcase. I can't do this. You got to pretend. With a mil with with, with twenty million dollars in it. Cash, cold hard cash. We just stack it up over here. Now, that's stacked up. Just imagine these hundreds over here stacked up. And then I'm over here with this one hundred. You still like it? No, compared to that, this is, who cares about this? I want this 20 mil over here. Same thing with God. It's a comparative term. In other words, compared, yeah, I want you to love your wife. Love her just like Christ loved the church. Yes, I want you to love your husband and be submitted. Yes, I want you to teach your children the right way and grow up teaching them the ways of my word here so when they get old, they won't depart from it. But compared to me, oh, no, 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 I'm the 20 mil. Financial security is another thing that Isaac represents. He's his only heir. There's nobody else to leave the money to. There's nobody else to take the reins and move forward. The seed, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so on and so forth. He's it. He's the financial security. Everything that Abraham was a mega millionaire, mega millionaire. He had it going on. He's leaving all this that he has obtained, that the Lord has given him, has got to be passed on to somebody. There's nobody else to pass it on to but Isaac. So now he's going to take the only thing he's got, Isaac, the only one to pass it down to on, pass it down to, the one that's going to take the reins, and now we're going to carry him up the mountain and surrender him to the Lord, make a burnt offering. It's his whole future. His whole life is tied up and, and wrapped up in, in, in this thing. Do you see that? Abraham's old and he's getting older. Who's going to stop someone from coming in when Abraham's old and just killing him and taking all his money? Isaac's my protection too. See, as a little boy, this never happened to me. But had I been threatened by a grown man... I would have had a father to go to and say, Daddy, that man's threatening me. I'm not a little boy anymore. I'm a grown man. My dad's getting older as am I. But he's older than me. But the tables are turning. See, what I'm saying is if Susan ever calls and says, Hey, you, you know, when he's older than he is now, you know, 80 or whatever, I'm just throwing a number out there. If she calls and goes, Hey, the next door neighbor... This 25 or 30 year old man over here is, is, is rough handling your dad. Well, I'm gonna go down there. Ain't nobody gonna rough handle my dad. Abraham's getting old. He needs Isaac. He needs Isaac. His whole future's wrapped up in this. You want me to take my whole future, God, and, and put it on the burnt offering? my whole future, my whole life, my whole everything right here, my, my, my past, my present, my future, everything, all of it. His identity's wrapped up in this thing. What about his social status? He's pretty well known. Abraham, the father of faith. He's got it going on. He's got a good reputation. So now he's, the last time they saw him, he was headed out to the mountain with his boy and then he came back. Yeah, he killed him. Now his reputation is not the same as it once was. He used to be a good man before he went off the deep end. So we all know the story. We all know how it ends. I'm talking about, back it on up. What if you were there? His reputation, not to mention, can you imagine going in? Moms, y'all can imagine. Your husband comes home and says, i got something to talk to you about. It's about Isaac. The Lord told me to do something today. (laughs) <laughs> there's going to be another burn offering, isn't there? <laughs> His respect, everything, that's what Isaac represents. And we talk about surrender, you know, and um, the first thing you, it comes to your mind is sin. Sin, well, you know what? That, that really should be a no-brainer, the sin part. That should be a no-brainer. God died, He sent His Son to die for you on the cross, right? It says we're no longer slaves of sins. He's freed us from that. That should be a no-brainer. And there's, there are some things that you surrender immediately when you get saved. And the other things, you, maybe you just don't know they're sin. I get that. But if you get into the Word and you study the Word and you start getting filled up on the Word, then the things that are sin in your life, things that you do, you're going to start to feel this conviction, you, you you can't get into the word and not be convicted of of sin. Amen. You're actually convicted of righteousness when you sin. But I'm not going to get into how right, that right now, because you're you're not a sinner anymore. Now you're righteous, and the conviction saying, "Hey, hold up! Remember, you're, you're not a sinner anymore. You're you're righteous. You're supposed to be living this way, going this way. I called you out from among them, be separate. You're supposed to be different. But the surrender of sin." You know, we touched on that the last couple of weeks. And sometimes you do need a little, r- little reminder, but most of the time you don't need me and I don't need you to point out any sins. I know I'm doing it. You know you're doing it. But sometimes like the last couple of weeks, you know, sometimes you need, you, need, you need to get spurred every now and then, don't you? You need a little kick in the rear end is what I'm saying. Just a little gentle love tap with a pointed boot right in the hiney. Sometimes you need it. Sometimes you need a little wake up. You do. Sometimes you do. What in the world am I doing? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. But that's not what I want to talk about right here today, and that's not what I'm talking about at all this morning. It's the blessings. Surrendering your blessings. Because I've thought about it this week. And I've prayed about it this week. And I've sought the Lord about it this week. And I've got into this scripture this week. And I got into the little boy with the fish. And I got into some other scriptures. And I reflected back on my own life. And I'll tell you, the blessings are way harder to surrender than the sin. The sin was easy. I didn't want it anymore. I tried it. I, it's not working out for me. God, thank you. Jesus here. Take all this. He wants you to give Him all this you're and That's why I went to the cross and died for you. Give it to Him. Surrender it. And I said, that was easy to give you. The blessings, as I reflect back, the blessings, that everything He's blessed me with, that's been way harder to give Him than the the sin. It's been way harder to give Him than the sin. We could talk about money all day long. God blesses somebody financially. It's hard for them to give because now they finally have something. I mean, some people will go through life broke, Never had anything. It's not easy to give something away when you ain't got nothing. But now all of a sudden, God's blessed you, and you're sitting on a big old water cash. And then all sudden, you know, my tithe used to be ten dollars, but now my tithe's is going to be a thousand. Ooh, I could do a lot with a thousand. See, the surrender of the blessings harder than the surrender of the sin. I've learned. Sure, there's Mount Moriah moments that comes in our lives. All of us, as you're living this Christian life, there's there's, there's, there's moments, there's mariah moments where you start investing too much time into certain things. He says, give me your time. Next thing you know, this hobby, it was just like every now and then for fun, but now this hobby has, I, I am obsessed. I've got to do it. I've got to race. I've got to ride my bicycle every day, work out every day. I've got to eat right every day. I've got to win. I have to. And you're, you're putting all your time, all your focus, all your effort into that, into your hobby now. He's not going to be a rival to that. He don't want you to quit riding, racing, having fun, shooting basketball, whatever it is that your hobby is, fishing, hunting. No, it's just not going, he's not going to be a rival to it. You surrendered your life to him he can help you kill way more deer than you can kill on your own. You can spend half the time in the woods and kill twice as much. fact, you can spend half his time working and make twice as much. God can do way more than you can do on your own. You see your talents, your business, all of a sudden the business comes between you and the Lord. He says, surrender your business to me. Surrender your business to me we see it with talents as well. He's the one that blessed you with all these things. He's the one that blessed you with your talents. And I think the blessings are the greatest threat. We don't want to surrender anything, but let me tell you, you, you never lose you only gain. <clears throat> People use blessings, the things that God's blessed them with, actually against them. I saw, a, I heard an atheist debate. There was something on Facebook, and I just clipped, clicked on it. I didn't hear the atheist side of it, and I wouldn't have even listened to his side of it because I don't care about what he's got to say because he's trying to prove God doesn't exist. I don't care what he says. There's church signs around this area that says, come tonight, we're going to learn about these other religions. We're going to take a religion every week, and we're going to learn about it. I could care less. Why would I want to go sit there and listen to somebody for an hour about talk about something that don't even exist? Go to a real church service and hear about the Lord for an hour. Amen. Well, that you're just, you just, you know, that's just insensitive to these people. No, I just don't want to waste my time hearing about another religion because I don't care about it. I can't worship some big fat uh, golden statue up there in a Chinese restaurant. I don't even care how it started. It's not real. Whatever that guy's name is, I don't even know his name. I tell you how much I know about it. I just focus on the one main name. His name is Jesus. Amen. But anyway. Where was I talking? What was a the... got sidetracked there? Um, the debate, the atheist debate. Anyway, the Christian was debating the atheist, and anyway, he was talking about how incredibly intelligent both these men were. The atheist had all these degrees; he had more degrees than a thermostat, a thermometer. He was a very intelligent man, been to all these colleges, and he's going to debate why God doesn't exist and talk about atheism. See what? See what's going on here? God gave him his mind. God has blessed this man and this man is using what God blessed him with, using it against him. And we do the same thing and don't even realize it. I talked to my grandma last night a little bit and I talked to my wife. I I called my grandma because she was a little older and I thought, well, she will remember this a little bit better. But um, I talked to her about Elvis. Elvis. She said, yeah, he grew up in an Assembly of God church. He was singing in the church. That's where basically he learned to sing was in the Assembly of God Church. And he's singing for the Lord every Sunday. But somewhere along the way, I can't be successful singing in the church but I can go on the road to the bars and the clubs and go party and popping some pills, drinking some beer or whatever He's doing, and I can be successful this way. You can be an earthly success and be an eternal failure. Because I can tell you right now, the blue suede shoes never led nobody to the cross. Ain't nothing but a hound dog and jailhouse rock never led nobody to Jesus. How many people could he have led to Jesus if he just stayed in the assembly of God and just kept singing for the Lord? What they say is the guilt was so much, that's why he began to do drugs. Because he was so guilty because he had been gifted with this talent and been blessed with this voice. that should have been surrendered to the Lord, singing for the Lord, leading people to the cross, but instead he used his voice for the world to gain success. So he was the guilt. He's trying to numb the guilt with the drugs and ultimately it, it took his life. So we remember Elvis. What are we remembering him for? He's the king of rock and roll. What do you remember Billy Graham for? Saving souls. Amen. King of rock and roll don't mean jack scratch nothing in eternity. You're going to stand before the God, before God You've you got to answer for some things. He's going to say, I gave you that voice, Elvis. What would you do with it? I gave you your speaking ability. What would you do with it? Because there's some people that can speak. I'm not even a good speaker, but I use what little bit that he gave me to uh, relate to a certain crowd of people. I know there's some really well-educated people out there that they ain't going to listen to me for five seconds because they don't want to hear uh, my bad grammar. But guess what? There is a certain group of people in this world, you guys mainly, that y'all can put up with it and y'all listen to it. So that's what I want to use my voice for. I can't sing, that's why I don't try. God didn't bless me with that. I can't dance though, y'all. Now think about Miley Cyrus, you know, little girl, Hannah Montana. We used to sit in front of the TV and watch Hannah Montana. They usually had pretty good endings. Old Billy Ray, you know, he's trying to teach her the right thing. It's a pretty good little show for kids to watch. But then I remember, you know, she went off the deep end. She went nuts. She started dressing just awful, and I don't even get into all that junk. She started doing it. But now all these little kids are looking at, oh, Hannah Montana. I mean, she was a pretty big deal. Hannah Montana. McKenzie used to have some Hannah Montana stuff. But then she changed from Hannah Montana... And that's and, and Miley Cyrus, and I remember her dad said, "What you gotta do, Miley, is you gotta you gotta do something kind of outlandish, something that they'll uh, something that they'll remember you for." So she gets half naked, and she's on this wrecking ball swinging. Yeah, they gonna remember you for that. Who wants to be remembered for that? But she had something she could have used the gift and talent to do something totally different. You see that, that what you're being blessed with, that's what I'm saying, the blessings, the talents, the gifting, all those things that the Lord's given you, that's harder to surrender than the sin. As I reflect back on my own life, Earthly success, eternal failure. You can be both. God never wanted Isaac. Do you understand? God never wanted Isaac. He didn't want Isaac to die. He didn't take him, He provided it around. He never wanted Isaac. He wanted Abraham. He doesn't want your gifts, your talents. He doesn't want to take them from you. He wants to increase them. He just wants you. I'll tell you how much he wants you. Exodus 34. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. When we start talking about the names of God, we don't usually say, He's a jealous God. We don't usually sing how, God, how jealous God is. It's not a jealous like. Uh, that you and I necessarily think of—it's it, a—it's a jealousy of the no rival thing. No rival. I experienced that in my life. I'm not going to have a rival either. Like I protect what's mine, and uh, nobody's going to come up and, and 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 take. You know, I'm talking about family, children, uh, uh, my wife. But I don't really think we can wrap our minds around just how much God loves us. Um. He loves you so much. He's it's a, it's an undescribable. I can't, a human being can't describe the love of God. I mean, He loves you so much. Loves you so much. If you only knew how much He thought about you, you'd think more about yourself. He thinks a lot. He thinks so much of you. He sent Jesus Christ to go to a cross and die for you. He thinks an awful lot about you. You don't earn. You don't earn it. He 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 thinks it about you right in the middle of your sin. It's how God feels about you, His love. And I thought about how God feels about us and His love and how how jealous. And I thought about uh, Hosea. It says the Lord in Hosea, the first chapter, second verse, the Lord began to speak to Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, um, Go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and children of har- harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry. By departing from the Lord. So he went and took for himself Gomer. Gomer. Well, let me tell you, first of all, this is the Old Testament. You don't take your kids anymore and put them on the altar. Okay? I know some days you do feel like doing that. I get it. But you also don't go out and marry a prostitute named Gomer. I guarantee she's going to be ugly. And if there's somebody in here named Gomer, or if you're listening online you, your name is Gomer, that's, I'm just repeating what Josh told me. <laughs> he said, go out and get this prostitute and bring her back and marry her. And uh, he, he, her, her children as well. says, she conceived and bore him a son. So he goes out and brings home this prostitute for his wife. Then this lady who he's married to, this prostitute, after she uh, bore him a son, he's basically gone out and rescued her and brought her into his home. You don't have to go out living prostitution anymore. You don't have to sell your body anymore to feed yourself and provide food for your kids. I'm bringing you out of that prostitution, out of the world. I'm bringing you in over here. So He's a good man. He was a righteous and an upright man. He was a holy man. And then you know what she did? Later on, she ran out and she went back and left him. She left the man and she went back into prostitution. And the Lord said to him, he said, go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord of the children of Israel. Who look, at other, look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. And that's talking about Worldly things. Worldly things. Obviously, a raisin cake's not that big a deal to you and I, but pagans, false gods, worldly things. He says, go get her. So I bought her uh, myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. And what he's trying to say is, this is a type and shadow of Israel. Israel, you know what? I, I brought them out and now they've returned back. I brought them out of sin, now they've returned back. He's brought you and I out of sin, and we want to return back just like a dog returning to its vomit. But he said, I love you so much. And he's, this is a type of shadow. Hosea's God, and you and I are Gomer, by the way. And he says, he finds her and he pays for her. He has to pay money for her. She's a prostitute. He takes her, becomes his wife. Then she runs off, goes back into prostitution. Then he finds her shackled and chained on an auction block to the highest bidder. And he says, hey, buddy, that's my wife. And the guy says, I don't care who you think she is or who she used to be. She's for sale and this is the price. How much? Your son, that's how much. The blood of your son, Jesus, that's how much. How much? He pays 15 shekels of silver and one one half homers of barley and he bought her back. It's a type of shadow that's showing you how much God loves you and me. That he came and he, he purchased us, he bought us back. With what? How much did it cost? And the blood of his son. And don't you know, here's this man going into this neighborhood. I'm going down here where all the prostitutes hang out. I'm going in places where righteous men, preachers, Christians should not be seen in these neighborhoods because what about their reputation? But Hosea just bust right on up in there on the auction block where they had all the women for sale. And he said, I'll take her and I'll buy her. And he took her back home. Jesus came and went into some pretty bad neighborhoods too, didn't he? What about the Samaritan woman? What about all the sinners? It says he sat down at the table and ate with sinners because he went right up in the midst of them. It's Jesus. That's how much he loves you and me. And he's, it, it's, it's showing us about surrender. How do I do it? How do I do it? Well, old Bobby did it this way. I'm just going to do it like he did it. That's not it. It's not doing it like old Bobby did it. And it's not doing it because old Bobby did it. How did Abraham do it? It started with dialogue, a conversation. Abraham called out to him. He said, hey, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. He says, here I am. And he told him what he wanted to do. He said, take, take your son. And the Scripture says that as soon as Abraham heard it, he says he rose early the next morning. There wasn't any hesitation. He didn't think about it for a while. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't weigh out his options and say, well, if I take my son and I'm, he's a burnt offering, what about my reputation? What about my finances? What about this? What about that? What about all these things? Yes, sir, I'll do it. I'm surrendered, sold out to you. I'm going right now, right here, right now. So you don't. You, it's not a procrastination thing. It's not a wait. It's not give him half your time and expect all the blessings. It's not surrender half your life and and receive all the blessings. Like I said, he's not going to be second to anything. He wants you to surrender your life fully, totally, every aspect and every dang bit of it, and your family and all of it. He didn't give us half Jesus. He didn't give us half the cross. He didn't shed out half the blood. He didn't take half the straps. He gave us all of Jesus. He poured out all of the blood. He hung on the whole cross and he took every one of the straps. Everybody that's alive, he took a strap for you. He didn't hold anything back. Do it fully. Don't procrastinate. And so I'm in my office this morning and Lisa walks in there and she is you know kind of tearing up a little bit. She's trying to explain to me the best she could, but she the Lord put something on her heart to do, and it's in this basket right here. What the Lord put it on her heart to do. And I I'm sure thoughts probably ran through her mind of different things, but ultimately here it is. Because she did it. She didn't procrastinate. She didn't just take the thought and throw it over her shoulder and go put it on the shelf somewhere. She did it. She went and did it. And what the Lord put on her heart right here are, are these prayer cloths. So there's there's a, a ton of them in here, a bunch of them. I mean, I, it's a bunch. And there's a little prayer cloth in here that she's cut out for her, herself. She didn't buy them on the internet. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what she wanted to do, go ahead. But she... She cut these out for herself. She put them in these Ziploc bags, had these little cards made with some scriptures on them, and put a mustard seed in every one of them. So you know why? That you and I, it's a prayer cloth. So that you and I can get these. We can use them for ourselves. We can use them for our friends. We can use them for our families. You can come and pick one up, take it to a co-worker at work. You can explain it to them what it means. And here's some scriptures to prove that you're not just making this stuff up. And just the faith of a mustard seed. And there's a little mustard seed in there. See... It's it's surrendering. It's saying, yes, sir, I'll do it. They may think I'm crazy, but that's okay. Here you go, Pastor Red. I don't think it's crazy. I think it's awesome. It excites me and it fires me up. And we're going to pray over them before service is over. And you can take them. And you can use them and you can give them to others. Amen? So you you don't know how much time you've got about this whole procrastinating thing. And I experienced it. Uh, I've dropped the ball before. I know. It's terrible. Just this December, I did it. And, and I, I've, whew, I've struggled with it. But I mean, the Lord's not condemning me. It's just me and myself feeling guilty because He told me to do something I didn't do it. But I was just on the phone with a dispatcher lady at the ambulance place because I was trying to line up an ambulance for the race. I don't even know her. Her name's Sandy Key. That's all I know. But I've never met her, never shook her hand, never looked in her. eyes, just talked to her on the phone. But when I hung up the phone, the Lord put her on my heart. Call her back, call her back, call her back, call her back. Ask her how she's doing. And I remember exactly where I was at when it happened. I was on the other side of the dam, going up a hill, cutting a trail for the race. And I remember it was, I was thinking, well, I'm just busy right now over here. And you know, we're working and I'll do it later. And I mean, I'm going to call a strange lady and just ask her how she's doing. But then the feeling came back to me again. And I thought, well, it's close to Christmas. I probably just need to go by there, give her a little money for Christmas. Problem?" Probably. I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Nothing did I do, and that's very rare. You can ask my wife. <laughs> We're sitting at restaurants all the time, and she's she's like, "You're fixing to give that person some money, aren't you? Are you fixing to bother?" Yep. But I didn't, and uh, I uh, I called back to reschedule it in like February. And she never answered and I texted no answer. Her daughter called me back and I mean texted me back and said my mom died in December. See, you you can't wait. You can't wait. You may be the one. My call I was upset. I called Josh. I talked to him because I was upset. He said, hey, don't be upset. The Lord could have put her on five or ten people's hearts. Somebody else could have called her. You don't know? You're right. I don't, but I know what I didn't do. But the Lord didn't condemn me. He just softly spoke to me and says, next time I tell you to do something, do it. Right there. Don't wait. Don't wait. When you're in the store and you see a man holding up the generic diapers and he's holding up the Pampers and you know he really wants the Pampers or the Huggies but he's going to have to buy these generic ones that's going to give his kid a butt rash and the Lord says, go buy him some diapers. Don't wait. Buy the diapers. Buy them. Don't procrastinate. You can't pick and choose Saul picked and chose. God made Saul a king. He was a great king. He was an awesome king. But then he started picking and choosing. He decided to keep a few things for himself. The Lord said, don't keep any of that. Destroy all that. It's basically saying, sacrifice it, burn offering, give it to me, don't keep it. But he kept a few things for himself. And guess what? God had to replace him with David. So Saul didn't go up, uh, Abraham didn't go up the mountain in fear. You can read this in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, 7th verse. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In no other words, Abraham didn't, get, Abraham didn't get prepared to take his son out for his final dinner. It's the last time I'm going to get to see you. He didn't say, this is the worst day of my entire life. I've got to give away what matters the most to me. He said, that's okay. I'm going to take him up there. Even if God takes him, he'll, he'll, he'll give him back to me. He went up there in faith. Even if God, he said, concluding that God was able to raise him from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Even if he takes him, God will raise him from the dead. I got no doubt. This ain't my worst day. This is possibly going to be the greatest day. And it was a great day because he saw a miracle. He saw a miracle in the surrender. Amen. So you picture yourself going through life. Sometimes you're headed in a direction and it doesn't make any sense. God's called you to do it. Go do it. And you're going up this mountain. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. I don't know what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say to them when I get there. I know that God told me to go do it. God told me to go talk to them. God told me to give my money. God told me to give my time. God told me to give my hobbies, whatever. I'm going in this direction, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Don't you know Abraham's carrying his son up a mountain, and he ain't got a lamb. He ain't got a ram. He ain't got a goat. He don't have anything for sacrifice except oh Isaac. But isn't it interesting that there was a ram up there caught in the thicket that just tells me here's abraham surrendered fully to god going up this mountain up this mountain and the the answer the blessing the whole time was coming up the other side of the mountain see if you're going to wait till you see it before you start to up the mountain start to surrender you'll never see it no sense in even surrendering once you've unseen it So just know whatever you're walking through right now, whatever you don't understand, God does understand. You just stay fully committed. You just stay fully surrendered. The ram's coming up the other side of the mountain. God's never late. He's always on time. Sometimes He shows up at 11.59 p.m., but He does show up last minute. It's what it seems like to us, but it's really not last minute. It's always on time because he's an on-time God. Basically, Abraham said, I'm not going to control my family's destiny. I'm not going to control my life. I'm not going to control my future. I'm going to place my family's destiny in God's hands. I'm going to place my life in God's hands. I'm going to place my future in God's hands. And you know what? You just got to die to self and put it into his hands. Pick up the cross and carry it if you want to be his disciple. Disciple. And He provides... When you you get into surrender, He provides wisdom. He provides revelation. You don't lose. This right here is the secret of multiplication. When you bow your knee and surrender to God, you know what that equals? Power and victory. It equals power and victory. And the enemy can't stand before a bowed knee. So you can stand up and try to fight the enemy and the enemy can... Can, can, can fight against you but the enemy can't fight against or stand against he can't come against a bowed, knee, a bowed knee bow to the Lord and you take a whole group of people like in this room right here Satan absolutely cannot stop a whole group of sold out surrendered people It's a secret. He don't want you to learn. He don't want you to learn that there's blessings associated with the surrender. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from 7 Mile Ministry.